0: We pray, Lord, you speak, and what was not, suddenly is. You know what's going on in your people today. You know with a heart what men and women are. Speak, Lord, through your servant who will come and give you a message, for we know That it is not just him that speaks, but that you are speaking through him when your word is opened and your word is proclaimed. And so, in this assembly this morning, there surely is something that is not that you want to bring about. And we bow before you, prepare our hearts and minds then to receive that word and bring forth life where there was none. Bring forth fruit where it is barren. Bring about grateful hearts where there is ingratitude. Bring about humility where there is pride. Bring about other-centeredness and Christ-centeredness, Lord, where there is self-centeredness. We resign ourselves to you this morning, Lord, and wait upon you. Speak, your servants listen. Amen.
1: chapter 3. By the way, the batteries are dead on this. So I'll have to use this. Can you change them up, Michael? Galatians chapter 3, everybody. We're going to begin at verse (coughs) 1. The miracle we're going to talk about today is turning Gentiles into true Jews. Kind of an ironic title, Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. And again, I want to encourage people that come on Sundays and hear these messages, it's to your best interest if you would read the book of Galatians yourself, and particularly the portion that we're going to be studying, which is obviously going right through the scriptures from chapter 1 to chapter 6. So that would be a, a real blessing to you, I think, if you read in advance what we're going to be talking about so that you're better prepared like good soil to receive the good seed. So beginning at verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. <clears throat> Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached before the Gospel, beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. You know, let me be remindful of this for everybody, that it's not so much what I give out that really matters, it's what you get out of this that really matters. What are you going to take away from a a sermon, from a message that I'm going to give this morning or any other message that I give or anyone else gives? Just think about it. What did I get out of that message when I get home? Ask yourself this question. What did I learn today? What edified my spirit? And what today helped me explain this to others? I'm more concerned of what you get out of it than what I say, to tell you the truth. That's what I want for us all and you. So study Galatians yourself in advance. Again, I want to repeat, for your own personal edification and benefit from how these sermons can aid you. Now we're turning now to the third chapter of Galatians. And in this chapter, we're coming to the topic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned or the Spirit is mentioned 15 times from here till chapter 6. Previous to chapter 3, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit particularly. But now, right here off the bat, in chapter 3 verse 1, we have reference to, and this chapter I think deals with this subject, of the regeneration by the Spirit. In chapter 4, in verse 5, in the content of the fourth chapter, is the topic of adoption by the Spirit. It tells us in that verse that we have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, no one can call God rightfully their Father in Heaven, apart from the Holy Spirit. And nobody can rightfully say that they are a child of God, unless they're adopted. See, God doesn't have any natural children. He only has spiritual children. And those spiritual children are all adopted children. And the way we know we're adopted by Him is by the Spirit of God who's been given to us that wells up within us and cries out, Abba, Father. That's almost like the first reaction to our conversion is that we call God, Father in an intimate, personal way. Not just Father, but Abba, Father. Daddy, Papa. A word that means the most close relationship you could possibly have with anybody. And that's what we have, because the Spirit has regenerated us in chapter 3, and the Spirit has come into our lives, giving us that spirit of adoption, so we can call God our Father. In the fifth chapter... In verse 16 and 17, it talks about a war that goes on in the life of a believer. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So the Spirit is working on our behalf in helping us overcome in that battle. He is our liberator. That chapter begins by saying, Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The freedom that the Spirit gives to us is breaking the bondage of sin that had a hold of us so that we can, we can fight against the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, etc. by the work of the Holy Spirit of God within us. And that work of the Holy Spirit within us also is Fruit in our lives, as it says in verse 22 and 23, that we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against which there is no law. There's no restraint. There's no limits, so to speak, on the kind of spiritual, fruitful life that's generated by the Holy Spirit of God. And then in chapter 6, we have this expression that says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh will reap corruption, but he that sows to what? The Spirit shall reap life everlasting. Our life should be spent as ones who are sowing to the Spirit and not sowing to the flesh, which would reap corruption, whereas sowing to the Spirit reaps life everlasting. So this is really, you could say, the second half of the book, or chapters 3 to 6, is all about the work of the Holy Spirit and what He produces in us that gives first regeneration, secondly adoption, third and fourth would be that liberty and fruit from the Spirit, and last, generalized the life of the Spirit. So that's what should characterize all believers. It's a good question to ask. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? People say they believe, they believe. Where's the evidence of that? The evidence would be in their life. And when the Spirit dwells within you, when He comes into your life, He generates things that weren't there before. He produces fruit in you that you could never have produced on your own. If you did, it was only a facsimile. It was a counterfeit to the real thing. You may have thought you had joy. But when you come to faith in Christ and know Him as your Lord and Savior, you have a joy unspeakable and full of glory the way the Scriptures describe it. Now Paul, in this chapter beginning at verse 1, again, it's strong language. He says to them, don't be fooled. Oh foolish Galatians, who has fooled you? Who has bewitched you? Sad to say they had been fooled. He doesn't want them to be fooled. In the first chapter, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. How does that happen? That believers can be fooled. God has given us the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can know the difference between truth and error. God has given us all that is necessary for us to stay on that straight and narrow path. But there are things that come into our life that affect us, that can distract us. Paul, for instance, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds could be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, the children of Israel, when they were going through the wilderness, God provided for them 40 years with what? Angels' food from heaven. Forty years he rained manna down from heaven that was found every morning on the dew of the grass. What more did they need? They still complained and they murmured. It says, I soul loathe this, this light food. This was inadequate, they thought, to them. Christ should be all in all to us. But sometimes when the flesh begins to work in our lives and overrides, so to speak, the Spirit, then we are looking for other alternatives of life to bring us some satisfaction that God says, I have given you full self-satisfaction in Christ. He is the true manna that has come down from heaven, and you and I, as it says, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. So we are eating the true manna from heaven. We have, we have imbibed Christ. We have embraced Him. He has come into our lives and should be our full satisfaction. How satisfied are we with Jesus? In that same chapter, Paul says in verse 14, Don't marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of, night, of light. Therefore, his ministers will be transformed into ministers of righteousness. How we have to watch out for groups like this. And what group do you think that is, by the way? Huh? Huh? Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, that's probably the top one. Or it could be Mormons. It could be Seventh-day Adventists. They all put pictures like this up in their literature. And you know, as I was looking at this a little more closely, I said, well, look at the." This is some kind of a transporter, maybe an airplane of some kind. But you know what they're doing? They're going to their own planet. or They're all together in their travels. And it seems so attractive. Now, I don't think that a real believer could be. There may be some exceptions down in history, possibly, that have been sidetracked by Jehovah Witnesses or other cults. But they are out there. And sometimes they infiltrate the church maybe not under the title of a jehovah witness or a mormon or anything of that sort but as it says in second 2 peter 2:1 2, as there were false prophets among the people so shall there also be false teachers among you who will seek to try to make merchandise of you teaching damnable doctrines something that one needs to be aware of now in acts chapter 8 when paul uh not paul but when uh, philip comes to samaria it says that that place was totally uh, um, loyal to Simon the sorcerer. He had somehow dazzled them enough that it says he gave himself out to be some great one and everybody believed that he was, so to speak, their messianic figure until the gospel comes and conquers but we may have some Simon the sorcerer's too in our mind and in our heart that can somehow be a distraction from us to revere the great and only true great one. So Paul's dealing with the Galatians that he is so shocked that they are so quickly removed from him, from him, not from doctrines but from him. When you're leaving him, you're leaving true doctrine. When you're leaving true doctrine, you're leaving him. So that's what really matters. It's not so much the the uh, the catechism. It's the Christ that the person is leaving that really matters the most of all. And they obviously should go together. The catechism, the doctrine, and the person of Christ should harmonize, of course. And then in the 6th chapter, Paul again says, Be not deceived. So he's calling them foolish, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. He's saying you have been deceived. And in chapter 1 he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Oh how we should be fully satisfied with our Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says has been graphically portrayed as crucified among you. Now, none of the Galatians, and maybe not Paul, we suggested, was it last week or the week before, that maybe he was in physical attendance at the crucifixion. That must have been something if it was the case. We know for a fact that he was at Stephen's stoning. And Stephen saw Jesus in the glory of God in heaven above, and he made that known. And the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection are being told by Stephen, I see Jesus alive in heaven above. That was like a pin in the balloon of the Sadducees. It just totally would deflate their idea about there not being a resurrection by Stephen's confession. Well, anyway, Saul heard that, later known as Paul. So he had been fooled, you could say, himself misled he had truth but not according to knowledge and now he's writing to them who have had christ graphically portrayed before them i love that expression this is probably one of the key passages that talks with highlight about the importance of the crucifixion and how that relates to our lives Crucifixion is not just a historical past event, but it's something that's current in the life of a believer. And when you think of it, here we are, we're all born 2,000 years roughly after Jesus' crucifixion, and yet that crucifixion, crucifixion is applied to us. And we feel his pain. We can look at the cross, and we groan and moan with Christ, suffering and agonies and pain. Not because of the physical suffering and torture, but because of its personal relationship to me. As Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And that's how it should be for us. The extension of the work of Christ that has present, viable, and full force of application to you and I today. Like the hymn writer said, O joyous hour when God to me... A vision gave of Calvary. My bonds were loose, my seal unbound. I stand upon redemption ground. Praise God, those of you here, the majority of, if not all here, or most here, have had a vision of Calvary. And it's something that we need to continually focus upon. Especially when we have our Lord's suppers and remember the Lord Jesus how that should really hit home and should move our hearts as we express our gratitude to the Lord for what He has done. Verse 2, he says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Now remember, the Galatians have become Judaized. They have gone from the liberty that they have in Christ in the grace that was bestowed upon them, back into a legalistic lifestyle that Judaistic teachers have brought them into captivity to. And Paul is irate about it. He's not going to give in to this. He's not going to let it ride itself out. He's stepping right up to the plate and saying, No! Stop! No more Judaizing! Are you so foolish? There's that word again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, there's only two ways to live, really. It's either living in the Spirit or living in the flesh. I think you may have heard me say one time that I was coming out of a convenience store. I wasn't saved very long myself. And right in front of me, there was a probably a high school kid, maybe early college years. He had on the back of his T-shirt... I believe it was a song from, you can help me out here, Harrison. Uh, li- living in the Flesh, or Live in the Flesh. I don't know if it was Led Zeppelin or one of those cronies back then, who am I thinking of? Um, uh, Cole, uh, Clapton, Eric Clapton, one of those songs, it was uh, uh, the line or the title of the song, Live in the Flesh. Well, I stood and I'm walking behind him and I'm looking at that and my heart's grieved. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, do you realize what you're wearing on your back? The scripture says if you live in the flesh, you'll die. But if you live by the Spirit, you'll have life everlasting. Well, he didn't know what hit him when I said that to him. (laughs) But I felt like I had to get it out of me. And maybe someday those words will ring in his ears, or have possibly. If you live in the flesh, you'll die. But if you live in the Spirit, you'll have life everlasting. Now to live in the flesh is not, we think sometimes to live in the flesh means to go out and hoop it up. Just, you know, have it, you know, eat, drink, in me merry spirit. Live it up. Sow to the flesh. Party life. That's not necessarily what Galatians is talking about. Sowing to the flesh means satisfying your religious element of flesh in your, in your, in your own personhood. That that's what can be a faulty and a deceiving satisfaction. So to go back to Judaism is a fulfillment of the religious flesh of man. It's amazing when you see the Jews in their devoutness for God, as it were, when they're before the... Uh, the Western Wall, when you see them coming as families and they've got their black outfits on, the women, they've got wigs because they don't, they don't display their hair. Lots of people don't realize that. But the Orthodox Jewish women, they have wigs on their head. Their hair looks very beautiful, but it's not their real hair. Their natural hair is under their wigs, and it's only their husbands that are allowed to see their natural glory. And they have, of course, all of the the garb and, and so on and so forth. And you say, wow, what, what reverential people. Paul could say they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And Paul himself was guilty of that himself. As he looks back and says, I had a zeal for God too. I was just like them. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was the most extreme of them all. So you could see why he might be the most irate and the most competent writer to write to the Galatians about this subject because he himself was entangled in it for many years. And then he saw liberty come to those that had graphically seen Christ portrayed before them and they're going back rather than going on in the spirit. Verse 4, he says, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain? Oh, being fooled. Being fooled. Mark Twain says it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. Pretty wise statement from a man that's not in the family of God, never was, he was almost atheistic, I think. But nevertheless, that stands true. And look what I think Arish, no, this is Soren Kierkegaard, an existentialist. He says there are two ways to be fooled believe what isn't true, and then refuse to believe what is. You know, our natural minds and our hearts are very vulnerable to being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every slate of man by their cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The heart is deceitful. The heart that you and I have today, though we have a new heart, we still have an old heart, if you will, And that still is deceptive. And we can deceive ourselves into inventing another kind of Christianity maybe. Or another way of life. Or believing that I'm safe, I'm saved, I'm saved, but it doesn't really matter how I live. That's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness when you think you can do that. But the heart is so deceitful, it tries to get out of anything that is... Committal or loyal or allegiance to Christ and wants to find some satisfaction elsewhere. Something that we need to be aware of. Don't be fooled. Okay, now verse five. This is, this is, it can be a tricky verse. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Now some of your translations may read in such a way that the he could be referring to one of the members of the Galatian church or churches that was doing miracles among them. And Paul is saying, how is he doing it? Is he doing it by the hearing of the law? Is this sort of law propelled? Or is this something that's being done by the Spirit? So there are two questions we have to ask. Who works the miracles? And secondly, what are the miracles that are being worked? Because it says, He who supplies the Spirit. Now that's important right there. Whatever is taking place is because of the supply of the Spirit. So the life of these Galatians, this particular aspect here, Paul is saying, it's a result of the Spirit's activity. Does He who supplies the Spirit to you. So, the you must be bigger than just And a person, a single person, he who supplies the Spirit to you, to you who? To you, Galatians, to those of you that I'm addressing, to my spiritual family of Galatia. And works miracles among you. So there was some that were doing miracles among who? You, the Galatians. And it wasn't being done by the work of the law, but rather with a hearing of faith. And that's what the contrast is that Paul's trying to highlight. So who I think the miracle worker is, it's the supply that the Spirit is giving in their midst for miraculous things to be occurring. Now what are those miraculous things that are being worked out? Paul doesn't elaborate on that. That's not really his main point, what the miracles are. But they are taking place And some are with the Spirit's unction in and upon them are performing things that are miraculous. Now, could that be the Benny Hinn style of miraculous? You know, of a so-called, you know, giving health to people that are suffering from mental illness or from back pain or whatever it is. No, no, no. Let's not go there with that. Let's just be satisfied that Paul is highlighting this point that miracles are occurring among you. Miracles are supernatural events that are beyond the work of the flesh and the work of a natural man. So it's supernatural. But secondly, we don't need to be occupied with what those particular miracles are. Maybe it's the miracle of the new birth. Maybe it's evangelism and others are getting saved as Christ is being graphically portrayed before others. And that is absolutely the greatest miracle. You who are sitting here that are saved, you are a phenomenal miracle. I should say, you are the miracle of Him who worked on you and brought you from death to life. Who brought you out of the horrible pit that we were reading uh, there in Psalm 40. Who put like us deer, who pant after the water brooks. We are miracles. Just think, do you ever think? I know you do and have. Where would you be today if you weren't saved? What would your life be like now if you never heard about the Lord or never accepted the gospel of Christ? I'm sure some of you are saying, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Where would I be? I don't want to even think about it because I know, I know I wouldn't be in the pulpit. I know I wouldn't be in church. I know I wouldn't be praising the Lord. I know I wouldn't be reading my Bible. I know I really wouldn't have true happiness. I wouldn't have true joy. I would be like Mick Jagger said, I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. And that's what my life would be like, not able to get any satisfaction. But praise God that he interrupted us on the broad road from going on in our wild career and he brought us to faith in Christ and we have the best of the best. Let us never doubt that we are the salt of the earth that God has given to us exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We need to be truly fed and, and and supplied and satisfied with all that our Lord Jesus Christ has done. Okay, verse 6 now. In verse 6 it says, Just as Abraham believed God. Now all of a sudden, Abraham's name shows up in the book of Galatians. We said in the first and second chapter, the Spirit doesn't appear. We could say the same thing about Abraham. He doesn't appear in the first or second chapter. But now all of a sudden, Abraham's name appears on the pages of Paul's writings here. Just as Abraham, just as, or just like. What's the point there? He already says to them, how, the, how did they believe? They believed by having begun by the Spirit. You partook of the finished work of Christ who was publicly portrayed before you. In other words, the gospel was portrayed to you. You believed it and you became a child of God. You came into a new dimension of life. Just like Abraham. So we have to understand the similarities between Old and New Testament believers. Just as Abraham believed God is the way just you and I have believed God. And him believing, it says, was counted to him as well as to us as righteousness. A righteousness that cannot be removed. You have a righteousness that cannot be erased, eradicated, overridden, withdrawn. It's a permanent category that God has granted to you and I. A righteousness that's not our own. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we're going to be in heaven. Because God is righteous And we who are saved are made righteous in Christ. And that's granted to us just like Abraham. Now why is it important that Abraham's name be brought up? Because Abraham, you could say, is the father of Judaism. He is, you could say, the head of the Jewish nation. Everything kind of points back to him. He's sort of the root of it all. It begins there when God called Abraham as a single man and then built a nation around him and they become known as a special people unto God above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. That's why we read so many times in the Gospels about reference to the children of Abraham and Abraham here and Abraham there. He's a very significant character and Paul is trying to say to them, by your believing in the Lord, you are yoked with Abraham. He's our brother, you could say. And him and, him and you are related to one another, spiritually, because as you, as he believed, you have believed, what he has is what you have. Hallelujah to that. Know then that it is those of faith, verse 7, who are the sons or the children of Abraham. Those who of faith are the sons of Abraham. Hallelujah that we are now classified in this fashion. And this is why the title of this sermon is How that Gentiles are Turned into True Jews. What Paul is doing here, he's trying to remove the petals, P-E-T-A-L-S of Judaism, but not uprooting the roots of Judaism. What do I mean by the petals? Those external things, keeping the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the uh, circumcision of the flesh, the uh, o- the obedience to to laws and days and to uh, feasts and so on. Those are the petals. P-E-T-A-L-S. Did I spell, spell that right? Petals of a flower. Okay. He's plucking them off, but he's not pulling up the roots. The Roots is Our Father Abraham. Uh, Marv Wilson wrote a book called Our Father Abraham, trying to prove in that book how that we have a unity of the family of God, of both Old and New Testament. Let's not segregate Israel so much so that we feel as if they're another family of people. No, they're not. Those that are born again in the Old Testament, those that are born again in the New Testament are all born again, one family people. Hallelujah to that. God only has one people, never had more. All those that are children of God. Even people that don't ever join a church or maybe ever see a church building or go into a church service, if they've been born again, they are in the church because they have the same faith as Abraham had and they believe. And of course that faith germinates the gospel faith germinates into wanting to learn more, wanting to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. <coughs> so remember this, when John the Baptist was baptizing, and I'll close with this thought, these thoughts. There were many that were coming out to John to be baptized. It was almost like a... Um, it was the in thing at the moment. It was kind of like, we would say, that's hip. We used to use that word back in the day. Oh, that's hip. You know, like, that's cool. That's the right thing to do. Well, they were coming up in flo- flocks to get baptized by John. A lot of Southern Baptists would love to have that happen in their churches. Oh, you want to be baptized? Yeah, amen. Next week, we're gonna, we'll add you to the number. Wait a minute. John the Baptist, hold on, hold on. Don't say because Abraham is your father that you have a title to be baptized. Bring forth therefore fruits that are worthy of repentance. Show signs of contrition and humility. Show a willingness to abandon your old and to accept the new, which is the coming of the Messiah. And he says this, don't just say to each other, we're safe. We are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. And this is John the Baptist saying, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Stones are lifeless. They have no vitality in them. It's the deadest thing on earth. A stone. A, they say have a heart of stone, your cold stone. That means you've got no feelings, you have no emotions, there's no reality inwardly in you. But God is able. Remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they were shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And others, others were telling him, Hush up, be quiet. Shut up, don't say anything. And Jesus said, what? If these should hold their peace, even the stones would immediately cry out. Well, guess what? You and I are those Gentile stones. Stone dead. And yet he brought us up out of a horrible pit and set our feet upon a rock. And you as he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He brought us up, blew us up out out of nature's quarries and landed us on redemption ground on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this peace and now we're what? You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. I wonder if Peter means there in First Peter 2 5 that he's referring to Gentiles there. You were once stones. You were outside of the of the realm and sphere of God's blessing. But now you who were afar off are brought nigh. Who you who weren't a part of the commonwealth of Israel, you are aliens from the household of Israel. But you who were sometimes afar off are now brought nigh by the blood of Christ. We were like the lepers that should have put on our lips the words and put cupped our our mouths by saying, unclean, unclean. But the good news is the Lord Jesus touches lepers. He raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifts up the beggar out of the dunghill and he sets them among princes. He can turn stones that are dead into living stones. He can get blood, as it were, out of the stone, if I can put it that way. Flesh and blood. Turn the Gentiles, which you and I were, into a true spiritual Jew. What advantage then do we have? We have the circumcision of the heart. We can call Jerusalem, which is above our mother. We we can worship God by spirit, which is what a true Israelite would do. Like a Nathaniel, an an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. That was a special category. And you and I have been brought into that category, where we were once stoned, we were dead, we were removed from God, but now we're brought to have that wonderful spiritual life. The answer is found in the following verse, how stones can be turned into living, how a a Gentile can be turned into a true Jew. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, that's one way. And we're not going to take this up this week, but I'll whet your appetite for next week. Verse 14, this is a key verse, and it ties in exactly what I'm saying now. That the blessing of Abraham, now Abraham was blessed not only for himself, but future generations. In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now that was given... The promise was made to Abraham about eighteen hundred B.C., so we're talking nearly four thousand years ago when a promise was made to Abraham that in his seed, who's the seed? Jesus, and that's why in Matthew, when we get the genealogy, this is Jesus of Nazareth, what, who was of the seed of Abraham? He's a part of the generational line of uh, of Abraham's. <clears throat> that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That the blessing of Abraham. You are blessed with Father Abraham. So why is this important to the audience that he's writing to? Because they thought that they had to do something. and act in a certain way so that they could sort of be acceptable to God by being circumcised by keeping the law by keeping certain days and holy days etc cetera, etc cetera, that that was going to gain them some sort of uh some sort of merit before God but no no it's all based on the blessing of Abraham that comes on the gentiles how through Jesus Christ the promised seed that we you and I and all believers Today, Gentiles particularly might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, so Abraham was given a promise that through him, down the road, Jesus Jesus Christ, we Gentiles would receive the Spirit, so we who were stones we didn 't have any praise for the Lord, but when he saved us, he brought us up he, he, he turned stones. You could say into bread, if you will. He turned the water, us into wine. He changed us in such a way that now we become a, a worship factory. We, we're, we're generating praises to the Lord. We're in that family. We're united with Him and we have so, so much to be grateful for. And the last verse of our reading this morning says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, period. Okay, period. Those who are of faith, not those that are of works, not those that are of the law, but those that are of faith are blessed with Abraham because that's how he was blessed, by faith. That's how you're blessed, by faith. And therefore you and Abraham are in the same spiritual family. And if others try to enforce upon you these things that you must do to make a duty for you to have to accomplish, to gain entrance into this spiritual family, that's heretical. That's wrong. I'm standing against it. Listen to what the Word of God is telling you. If you're blessed with Father Abraham, you're in that same spiritual family. I hope we can go away today gratified, satisfied, pleased that God, and it's not you and me, brother or sister. It's Christ in us. To Him be all the glory and honor. And thank God for the gift of faith. How did you believe on Him? Because God gifted you with a gift of faith to trust the Lord Jesus. And now you are part of the spiritual family. And now, I hope, as I said in the beginning, that there's something that was said that will register in your heart and mind that you will go away saying, I learned something today. I think I could even tell somebody else about what I heard today. And I was greatly edified by what I heard today out of the Word of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise your name and we give you praise, worship, and thanksgiving for your Son. Thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the Gospel, for its power, and for the range to which it has brought us, O God. We who were so far off, but Lord, you brought us near. Thank you for giving us the gift of faith, Lord. Thank you for reminding us that our salvation is, is based in standing upon only your promises and only the faith that is had in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. So, Lord, again, we want to remember anyone in this room that does not have the Lord as their personal Savior. We ask, Lord, that your Spirit might be pleased to move upon their lives in such a way that even now they would be crying out and saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Make me one of your own. Draw me that I may run after you, O Lord. So Father, we pray this end as we give you glory and thanks in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Please stand. Got another new song for you guys. So this is a Jeremy Camp song, Jesus saved.